Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this message. But in Christian tradition around the world, tomorrow is uh, Palm Sunday. And of course, it's referred to as Palm Sunday because in one of the accounts, we're told that when Yeshua entered into Jerusalem, many had cut palm branches. One of the Gospels says that, I think it's Luke. That tells us that many of the inhabitants, uh, the other accounts tell us that they took greens and they took branches. But I believe it's in Luke's account that we're told they took palm branches and laid them on the street as the Jewish people entered into uh, Jerusalem. And as Yeshua came in riding upon uh, the donkey into, uh, into Jerusalem. Of course, It's very significant that palm branches were laid on the street because when you consider when palm branches are particularly uh, made to stand out in Jewish tradition, it's the Feast of Sukkot. And the festival of Sukkot is the seven of the seven major Jewish festivals. And Sukkot looks forward to the reign of Messiah. That's as one goes through all the different seven festivals, beginning with Passover, which deals with the death of Messiah. And then we go right around the calendar till we get to Sukkot, which deals with the reign of Messiah. So that the prophets say during the Messianic age, we'll be celebrating Sukkot with our Messiah as our king and with all the nations of the world. Zechariah makes that point in chapter 14. So when the Jewish people are gathered, And Yeshua is riding in, they're putting palm branches down, and they're exclaiming, Hosanna in the highest. And they're saying, here is the son of David, the king of Israel, Hosanna, save us now. They are affirming his kingship, or they're at least hoping in expectation that he'll come at this moment to reign as king. Interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation, when the the saints are gathered around the throne, They're waving palm branches around the Lord seated on his throne for he is seen as the king and as the one who's reigning over his people. But I digress. When we look at the Gospels, here's an interesting thing. Um, I think I knew this before, but it wasn't as in the forefront of my mind as it is this morning. And that is that this event of Yeshua coming into Jerusalem is recorded by all four gospel writers. Now, not all the events of Yeshua's life are recorded by all four. There's few 
events that are recorded by all four, and they all are made to stand out. Obviously, they particularly impacted each one of the writers in a special way, and thus they all wrote about it. And when one reads of his entering into Jerusalem a week before his death, burial, and resurrection, all four writers record that event. And I want to share with you what stands out among these records. So I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. That's the first record of the entry of Messiah as king. You look at verse, uh, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, which is east of the city of Jerusalem, then Yeshua sent two disciples, saying them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a, uh, and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble." Mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Yeshua had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Baruch haba Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Yeshua from Nazareth of Galilee. And then he enters the temple, he cleanses the temple, and he draws our attention to the purpose of his coming and the purpose of the temple, which is the worship of God and prayer to him. That's Matthew's account. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. When you look at Mark chapter 11, you'll see that he records this event as well. In verse 1, chapter 11 of Mark's account, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Yeshua sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. I think that's really pretty cool. You know, of all the accounts, Mark's the only one who records that. I always wondered what happened to the donkey after he rode on it. And now here in Mark, we're told they're going to bring it back. Well, it's nice to know that our Messiah... Is an honest man, you know? He borrows something, he brings it back, you know? How many of us can say that of ourselves, you know? It's like, oh my goodness, that, that screwdriver, who did it belong to, you know? Not that I borrow screwdrivers, Jews don't use tools, you know? The, the tool that we use is the butter knife. It does, it does everything for us. But I thought that was kind of cool, don't you think? You know, just a little something Mark throws in there, and we will immediately, once we're done, we'll bring it back to you. Undoubtedly, Yeshua knew these, this man, right? He knew the owner, because when they said, the Lord has needs of it, they'll say, oh, well, of course. 
You know, no problem there at all. But it's kind of neat that it then goes on to say, and he will, we will immediately bring it back uh, to you. So just for, just for a moment. And then it goes on to say, and they went away, found the cult, uh, tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the cult? And they told them what Yeshua had said, and they let them go. And they brought the cult to Yeshua, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, others leafy uh, branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Isn't that a cool phrase? You know, they're seeing him as the king. And they're saying, blessed is he, the kingdom is here, the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. You know, it's also interesting, this phrase, Hosanna in the highest. Isn't that what the angels or the shepherds heard the angels saying at the birth? So at the front end and the back end of the life of Messiah, they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Glory to God. Salvation has come. The king is present. These are all kind of neat things as they, they tie in together in the life of, of our Savior. And he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple. When he looked around uh, at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, if you turn to Luke's account, here we're Luke, looking at uh, Luke chapter 19. Yeah, verse 28. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. By the way, two of the writers tell us it's a cult that no one had ever sat upon before. So those who were sent went away, found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the cult, the owner said, why are you untying the cult? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Yeshua, throwing their cloaks on the cult. They set Yeshua on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As it was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude. Now now we get another thing. The other accounts give the impression that all of the accolades begin when he enters Jerusalem. Luke tells us, no, it began even before that. It continued into the city, but it started outside the city on the Mount of Olives. People are already gathered around him as he's making his way westward from the Mount of Olives, which is east of Jerusalem, into the city. And so it says, as he rode along, they spread their coats. He was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Now, that's interesting, too. Now we're told the ones that led the throng were followers of his. They were disciples of his. So undoubtedly, these disciples didn't know everything that was going on. They knew he was their king. They're shouting out Hosanna. They're hopeful that the kingdom will be established, but that's not why Yeshua has come. 
He's not come to establish his kingdom. They don't realize it as yet. Remember that Yeshua has been teaching his disciples, not only the 12, many others, multitudes of other disciples, but yet they were slow to understand, slow to learn. If, in fact, their own 12 were having trouble grasping hold of all that Yeshua is teaching, certainly those that were with them more sporadically, more on the fringes of the 12, they're going to certainly be misunderstanding or not embracing, or maybe embracing is not quite the right, right word, but properly understanding all that he's taught them. So they're the ones that are starting off the throng. And so the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice. I think it's also interesting, too, that we're told it's a multitude. So there's a large crowd of disciples. Well, we get this impression that Yeshua did have many disciples. When you read accounts of his teaching, it's saying that multitudes came after him. Now, it is true, some were very fickle. Some had left him along the way. Even the 12 who are following him will also renege upon him. Only John's going to be at the cross. Only John's going to make his way into the inner sanctum of the Jewish leadership, uh, observing what's going on during the trials. Only John. Peter made it in there, but once he denies him three times, he runs out. The other disciples have already scattered. The prophets have told us that is what would occur. But at this juncture, there's a large multitude that are hailing him as king. Now notice what it goes on to say. The disciples had began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. I think it's really interesting too. They're not fearful of the Jewish leadership of their day. They are just taking to the streets. They see their Messiah coming. He's sitting on the donkey. He's heading to Jerusalem. They're all gathered. Now keep this in mind. Josephus tells us, and maybe I, I shouldn't bring this up at this point, but Josephus tells us that during Passover, at least on one occasion he records, over 250,000 lambs were sacrificed for the celebration of Passover. I mean, that's a lot of lambs. And even if you put together numerous families that are gathering together, that's still telling us hundreds of thousands of people are gathered. And the disciples of Messiah, who have already faced much opposition, are not too concerned about it right now. Because they are gathering with them and with a loud voice, they are making known their allegiance to our Messiah. I think that's really kind of neat to take note of. And it says not only with a loud voice, but it says they're praising God for all the mighty works they had seen. It's almost as if they're just praising God and then they're articulating all the things Yeshua has done. He's our Messiah. He raised my brother from the dead. Think about that one, right? Mary and Martha, that's what they're saying. They ra he raised our brother Lazarus from the dead. Remember that many came to Bethany and wanted to visit with Lazarus and Martha and Mary because they wanted to see what a resurrected body person looked like. They wanted to come to say, we want to check out Lazarus, you know, because we knew he was in that tomb and now he's out. And we know that the Jewish leadership heard of these rumors and they sought not only now to kill Yeshua, but to kill Lazarus as well. Now think about that one. Yeshua raises him from the dead and they put, a, they put a contract out on him to kill him. 
So what would Yeshua do? He'd just raise them again. You know, if they got to him, we're just going to raise him again because he's going to stay alive for a while, you know. But here, the resurrection of Lazarus. So they must have been praising God. And probably Lazarus is right at the front, you know, saying, here I am. You know, because of him, though, because of him, you know. Look at him, you know. Don't look at me, but look at the one who rose me, you know. I mean, that has to be pretty, pretty wild. So saying for the mighty works that he had done, and that's probably the capstone of his mighty works, but many others, many others. People who are now singing out the praises of God who couldn't speak before, right? He healed people who were mute. We see that in Matthew chapter 12, a man who's blind and mute, and the Lord enables him to speak. And there are those that can't see. Now they are leading the way. Follow me. You know, they couldn't see before. but Watch out for that stone. You know, look over here. Now they're like right on top of it all. And God is providing for them. And some of them that couldn't walk. You know, you think of the man that's by the pool of Siloam, the pool of Bethesda, and he heals them. And he's like running, skipping, jumping. And they're talking about the mighty works. And they're demonstrating it as well, no doubt. They enter the city. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. I mean, this is like the angels at the front end of the life of Messiah. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Can you imagine that? They shouldn't be so excited. And he said, look, I will. But if they remain silent, these very stones are going to cry out, you know. The praise of God is going to happen. And if I tell them, yeah, they'll, they'll stop. But then the stones, you want me to tell them as well? Or will you now believe when you see it happen? You know, you can get the sense of what's happening. And then if you turn to the Gospel of John. And then if you look very quickly in chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 11, chapter 12, excuse me. And looking at verse 12, and John gives us the longest discourse with re- or teaching with respect to the uh, entry of Messiah. And so he says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, Yeshua, uh, Josephus tells us there are hundreds of thousands of people. We're looking at verse uh, 12 of chapter 12. The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Yeshua was coming. So they took branches of palm trees. That's the first time the palms are mentioned. John is the one who mentions it. And it's John who writes the book of Revelation who tells us they've got the palm branches around the throne of God in heaven as they're worshiping him. Because the palm branches was symbolic of giving uh, a claim to Israel's king. So they took the branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him. They're crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Yeshua found a young donkey, sat on it, just as is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Yeshua is glorified, that's of course his resurrection, then they remember that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus, out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was so that they heard that he had done this sign. Lazarus is like the pinnacle of it. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world 
has gone after him. And then we learn of these Greeks, whether they're Gentiles or, they're, or proselytes or Jewish uh, people from the diaspora scattered outside the land of Israel, not certain uh, what is meant by Greeks. Both are possibilities. But when they come to see Yeshua, he begins to teach them about his coming death. They just say, sir, we wish to see Yeshua. I really love that phrase. When I used to work with Chosen People Ministry, I spoke at all kinds of churches all over New England and really other parts of, of the country. And I'll never forget, not often, but occasionally, I'd step into a pulpit of, of a given, uh, given church that I was sharing at, and there on the pulpit, you know, right where you'd put your Bible, was uh, oftentimes you'd see this a brass sort of sign that said, Sir we would see Yeshua. Good reminder, you know. They're up here not, not to hear you flap your gums. They're up here to see Messiah. They're up here to learn about him. They're up here, you know, to, they're here, gathered here to see him. I love this phrase. They came, sir, we would see Messiah. You're, you guys are nice. Lazarus is even very impressive too, you know. But we want to see the Messiah of Israel. And look what Yeshua says. He doesn't come forward and say, here am I. But he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about his death, burial, resurrection. He says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. What he's saying, you must be willing to give up your life. Because unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Yeshua is talking about what he's come to do. So now, why is Yeshua, and he continues to go on and talk about his coming death. Why does Yeshua do this? You know, is the question. Why does he enter this way? And let me share with you some thoughts. The first reason he does this is to fulfill a divine purpose. There's a calling on his life. And indeed, there's a calling on every life. Certainly Yeshua's life. But on every life, there's a calling. So last week, uh, I had the privilege to go down with uh, Rosie and Sydney and Mary Lou to a church in Compton. And uh, it was it last week or two weeks? Feels like yesterday, you know. But last week, and the message was outstanding. The worship was forget about it, and the musicians were incredible. You know, I mean, it was like everything you could imagine in heaven was there. And when this uh, fellow was preaching, among the many things that he shared, he focused, or at least for me, he fo- there was a, a a moment that truly connected with me, and that was the sense of calling, the sense that God has called us to something. And he was was surveying his congregation. He was saying, some of you are called to be better husbands. Start there, you know. Don't, Don't think of these broad strokes of what's going on in all the world, you know, but just think small, and get the job done, you know, be a good wife, be a good uh, son, be a good daughter, be a good worker, you know, there's a calling on every one of our lives, and there's a calling on Yeshua's life, he was called to be the Messiah of Israel, remember, he came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, 
He is called. He is sent. He is uh, brought here, as it were. Certainly in accordance with his own will. But something that God the Father had said, we need to set in motion a plan of salvation. And Yeshua was called. The second person of the triunity, the Messiah of Israel, was called. Come into our world. Take on human life, human realities, to be the God-man, as it were, and to lay down his life a ransom for others. Why does he enter Jerusalem this way? Because there's a divine call on his life to give it up for others. And in fact, Yeshua has been saying this. Now, I told you that you could see in all four of these accounts, we read of the entry of Yeshua into Jerusalem. And we looked at Mark chapter 11. But if you turn over from chapter 11, if you look at chapter 10, before he enters Jerusalem, he basically is telling us not only why he's here, but why he would come to Jerusalem. He says in chapter 10, verse 32, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. By the way, you always make aliyah. Aliyah means to go up. Hola, I know in Spanish means hello. I learned that much. Learned that much in high school years ago. I wish I learned more about Spanish. But I learned that much. But in Hebrew, hola means to go up. It means to ascend. So when an individual goes up to Israel and becomes a citizen, they have made aliyah. They've become a citizen. They become an olim, one who has gone up. And whenever you read in the Brit HaDashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, about going to Jerusalem, no one ever goes down to Jerusalem. You never go down. You always go up. And so it doesn't matter. If you're going north, you're going up from, you're going down from Jerusalem. You always go down from Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. So even if you're north, going south, you're not going down to Jerusalem. You're going up to Jerusalem. And even if you're south, going north, You're not going up to the north. You're going down from Jerusalem to the north. You always go up. And so here we read, they were gone their way, going up to Jerusalem. We know they're coming from the the east, going west, because they're on the Mount of Olives. That's east of Jerusalem. But they're going up because Jerusalem's on a hill. It's the city of God. It's Mount Zion. It's the place Abraham offered up his son. It's the place where the temple is. It's the place where the Shekinah glory resided. We go up. That's why it is the center of Israel's existence. That's why the capital city of Jerusalem will never be divided as far as Jewish people are concerned. That is why it's not number one in the Arab mind, Muslim mind. Mecca, Medina, it's number three. And that's why Jerusalem's never even mentioned in the Quran where it's mentioned hundreds of times in the Hebrew Scriptures, let alone the New Covenant Scriptures. It is central to the heart of the Jewish people because it's central to the heart of God. And so when you go there, you're going up. And that's why the Psalms that are recited when you go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord are called Psalms of Ascent because we go up to Jerusalem and we worship God with the reciting of these Psalms. And so as they're going up, verse 32, Yeshua's walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. 
And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. So why does he go up to Jerusalem? There's a divine appointment. What's the appointment? He tells them. See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. That's his calling. That's his job. That's why he came to Jerusalem. My dear friend, uh, uh, Rob, had told me he was visiting with uh, Arnold at the MJAA conference. And he was talking with Arnold. And uh, Arnold asked Rob, he said, are you you Jewish? Rob Steiler. No, he's not Jewish. He said, no, I'm Italian. And so Arnold said, I only have one thing against Italians. They killed my Lord. That's That's what he said to him. And I, you know, and he, he meant it somewhat humorously. But it's important to think about this. What Yeshua says here is that, number one, he would be handed over to the Gentiles. He's talking about the Romans who would put him to death. I say this because over the centuries, the Jewish people have been accused of killing Messiah. And while the Jewish leadership rejected him, And while they handed him over to the Romans, it was a Roman execution. We need to remember that. And we need to remember that while the Romans executed, he did so because of his calling. Remember what Yeshua says. And it's a complicated thing, but something we need to think about. Yeshua said, no man takes my life. I lay it down freely. And he lays it down freely because of the divine call on his life. Why does he come to Jerusalem? He comes to die. Why did he come into this world? He came to die and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did he do this? He did this so that we would have life. Now, many would say, wait, I I don't think that I don't have life. Many would say... I'm very much alive. But one needs to remember, and this is kind of an interesting thing. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, you remember they had disobeyed God and they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a consequence, they're thrust out of the garden. But something that oftentimes gets overlooked is that a cherub was placed in the garden with a fiery sword. And the only way they could have gone back into the garden was to pass under that fiery sword of God's judgment. In other words, the reason they were thrust out of the garden was because of their sin. And the only way they could enter back is under the sword of the judgment of God. In other words, no one could enter back into the garden without being judged because of their sin. What Yeshua does is he passes through the sword of judgment, the flame of fire, as it were. And he endures the very judgment of God that would have otherwise fallen on us. It fell on him. And as a consequence, we can enter or re-enter the garden 
of salvation and into the very presence of our Lord. So why does he enter the the Jerusalem at this time in this way? Number one, to give his life a ransom for many because he has a divine calling on his life. But there's a second thing. Not only does he do this because of a divine calling, he does this because of a direct fulfillment of prophecy. I think it's in three of them. I'm not sure all four mention the prophet Zechariah. But I know at least two, possibly three. You could check it out as you reread those passages. There's the quote from Zechariah chapter 9. So if you would, I'd like you to turn with me there very quickly. And toward the end of the Minor Prophets, verse 9, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, In, a, in at least two, possibly three of the accounts in the Brit Hadashah, this passage is made reference to. And the passage in chapter 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the second reason why he comes, as he does on this occasion into Jerusalem, is not only because of a divine calling on his life, but also because of a direct prophecy that is made about how Messiah is to come into Jerusalem. Now what's interesting about this passage in chapter 9 of Zechariah is when you look at verse 10, He then says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. In verse 9, we're told the king comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. In verse 10, we're told that the, the king of Israel will defeat the nations of Israel so that Israel does not need to have any weaponry anymore. They don't need a bow, the arrow, the sword, because their enemies will now be at peace with them. Between verses 9 and 10 are nearly 2,000 years of history. In verse 9, the references to Yeshua's coming, as we have read in the Gospels, to give his life a ransom for many. In verse 10 is when he will come and reigning as king to bring peace to the nations and Israel to be established as a nation at peace with the nations of the world. The second reason he comes is to fulfill direct prophecy. I say direct prophecy because, and we can't get into all of this this morning, but when one looks at the New Covenant Scriptures and sees how Messianic prophecies are fulfilled or applied to Yeshua. Sometimes they are applied in a typological way. Sometimes they're used as a type. For example, Hosea 11.1 says, Out of Egypt I've called forth my son. Well, Hosea is talking about the Exodus. But Matthew, as a Israel as a type of the coming Messiah, would be called out of Egypt too during his infancy. But it's like a typological fulfillment. And there are other ways in which the prophet, or I should say the New Covenant writers, 
apply the prophetic word. But here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, talking about Yeshua coming on a donkey, they are applying the passage very literally. A literal passage, when the Messiah comes, he's coming riding on a donkey. And in the gospel accounts, when he comes to give his life, he's riding on a donkey. Now remember, Zechariah, if you look at chapter 14, he's going to tell us that when the Messiah comes, his feet, his foot will stand, will touch the Mount of Olives. The implication is he comes from the sky. The implication, difference of opinion on that, but implication. And Paul tells us that when Yeshua comes, we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. And thus we will ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And yet Zechariah 9 says, he's coming riding on a donkey. Well, why? Because Yeshua's coming will be in two phases. There'll be the first phase in which he will come. He's going to be riding on a donkey and he's going to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, Messiah's coming. There was a priestly reason for his coming. He had to provide atonement for sin. He had to deal with the fact that we've been exiled from the garden and he needs to make provision for us to re-enter the presence of God. How does he do that? There must be an atonement for sin. But in addition to that phase, there's a phase in which he's going to come to reign as king. That's what the crowd was shouting, thinking this is the second phase. They didn't realize there are two phases. And so they thought he's coming now to establish his kingdom. But Yeshua has already told them in Matthew 10 that when we get to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. My own people will reject me. Our own leaders will hand me over to the Romans, and the Romans will put me to death. That death, though, will not be the final end of the story, for in three days I will rise again. So why does Yeshua come this way? He comes, number one, to fulfill a divine purpose, to give his life a ransom. He comes to fulfill direct prophecy. He has to ride on a donkey, and therefore he makes it very clear. Go to the city, go into the village, ask the man, he'll give it to you. Tell him I'm going to return it immediately. But we need to fulfill the word of God in its very minutest of details. Remember what Yeshua said in the Sermon on the Mount. Not one jot or tittle shall fail to be fulfilled in all the law. And thus, I have to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And one last thing. Not only does he come to fulfill a divine purpose and direct prophecy, but he also comes to fulfill what the Passover meant to convey. We're getting ready for Passover, but this is Sunday. I mean, today's Shabbat, Saturday. But when Yeshua enters, it's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And it is about four days before Passover. The law said that a lamb was to be brought into the homes. It was to be kept for three days. And then it was to be executed. It was to be sacrificed to provide a Passover lamb for the meal that would be eaten at Passover. 
on Sunday, that's when the lambs were brought into Jerusalem. That's when the priests would examine the lambs to make sure that they were without spot or blemish so that they could be qualified to be the Passover lamb sacrifice for the people of Israel. There were over 250,000, I mentioned, that Josephus tells us one year, 250,000 lambs were brought in that eastern gate of Jerusalem toward the Temple Mount for the priests to examine before their sacrifice, which would occur on Thursday during the day. Remember, Yeshua celebrates Passover Thursday night. He's crucified on Friday, Friday morning, right? So Thursday night, he gathers with his disciples. That means Thursday during the day, the animals had to be sacrificed. Thursday during the day, the people are getting the lambs to be brought back to wherever they're staying. Remember, Passover is one of the three pilgrimage festivals, right? Deuteronomy 16, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. All Jewish men had to come up to Jerusalem. That's why there's so many lambs being sacrificed. They're coming to Jerusalem. They're going to stay for probably 50 days because 50 days later is Pentecost, another pilgrimage festival. So they're going to, if you come there for that day, you're going to stay for probably the month. You're going to be camping out with other families. You're going to be meeting perhaps with some relatives that live nearby to Jerusalem. You're going to have a lamb for you and your family and perhaps people you've met along the way as you gather together. 250,000 lambs are being brought in. Now we know why he's sitting on a donkey. He's up high above the throng of lambs that are all around him. Is it no wonder that John would say many, uh, a number of years, a couple of years earlier, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here he is walking, coming in, riding into Jerusalem while these hundreds of thousands, perhaps, of lambs are coming into Jerusalem as well. And each one will be examined to see that it meets the qualifications to be the Passover lamb. And what does Yeshua do? He gets questioned by the Pharisees. What's the great commandment? He gets questioned by the Sadducees. If a person dies and has multiple husbands or whatever, whose wife is she in the resurrection? Remember the question? That comes right after this. The Herodian will ask, is it right to pay tribute to Caesar? They're examining him to see if he is the spotless lamb of God, the Messiah of Israel, who takes away the sin of the world. As Yeshua comes in, he comes in to fulfill the Passover requirement in order to be the one who could take away our sin. And so indeed, he's the Passover lamb that takes away not only our sin, but can take away the sin of the entire world. The question is, number one, are we like Yeshua fulfilling our divine purpose and our calling? That's what the pastor in Compton was drawing attention to. Are we like Yeshua taking note of the fulfilled prophecy that Yeshua has fulfilled that tells us he is indeed the one that we should place our faith and trust in? And have we so placed our trust in him as the Passover lamb who can take your sin away and bring us into the very presence of God? If he is, we need to be about the task of telling others. That's why we're here. 
You know, one of the things the pastor at Compton struck me with as well was he said, our church is here in Compton to turn Compton around. I said, that's a pretty tall order. Turn Compton around. And they hadn't had a murder in 90 days. They're praying 24 hours around the clock. May there not be any murders. May there not be any murders. And they've got, I guess they must have a list of people. I got, you know, 1 to one thirty. I'm praying there's no murders. Someone else has got 9 to 10, whatever. They're praying around the clock. They had one murder in 90 days. It was like the lowest in, I don't know, since 2011 or 12 that he said something like that. What might happen if we were to pray like that, perhaps like that, Lord, would you save some of the Jewish people that are in this community? Can we turn Tarzana around, you know, and see many of our people here come to know you as Messiah, you know? And Encino, okay, Emma, Encino, because you're across the street. I get it, I get it, I get it, okay. Okay, we got Encino, we got Tarzana, all right, fine, fine. But the point is, we want our God's chosen people to come to know Messiah. We're here to worship him and have a great time doing that and to be blessed by him for sure. But we also want to be about the task. Unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone. If all we do is come here, and I'm not saying it is all we do, but if all we do is come here, we're not dying. We're living. And if we're living, it will abide alone. But if we can die to self, give of ourselves, and go, that's what Yeshua said, go into all the world, proclaim the good news. Well, here's our world, and we die. Then it will bear much fruit. Just as he rose Lazarus from the dead, he will raise us from the dead as we give of ourselves. And we'll pray, he'll answer our prayers. Because that's also what he does. <laughs> Wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst. He loves to answer our prayers. Let's pray for the salvation of his people. So let's pray. The worship team can come. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. And we're grateful for your word to us. And the ushers can come as well. And Father, we pray that you might use Beth Ariel and many other ministries around here, local churches that are here, other messianic groups, home fellowships. Lord, we want to see your people turned around for the glory of God. We want to see more and more of your chosen people coming to know you as Messiah of Israel. We would like to see, Father, salvation being meted out not only to the ends of the earth, but right here in our local communities of Tarzana and Encino and wherever we might live. We would pray you would help us share our faith with our Jewish neighbors and friends and family members. Help us, Father, to share our faith with those around us. Help us to enter into conversations that are meaningful and significant. May we not look weird in the process, but if we have to look that way, may it so be. For our prayer, Father, is that your people would come to know you as Messiah and Lord. But we pray not just for the Jewish people, that's our calling. But we pray, Father, for all people, that their hearts might be open to you and use your people who know you to proclaim good news. Turn around this valley. May we see many of all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, come to know Yeshua as Messiah. He said that my house is to be a house of prayer for all Gentiles, all nations, all groups of people, all backgrounds. And we pray that salvation, rich and full and free, 
would touch the hearts of many, many people. Use us, Lord, for that purpose, we ask. And so we bless your name, O Lord. We glorify you and we thank you for saving our souls. May you use us to bring salvation near to others as well. For we pray in Messiah's name. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.